0: All right, if you have your Bible, through, turn to Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23. A few weeks ago, we began a series on divine appointments, God's timetable, looking at the feasts of Israel. With what's going on in the world today, you know, lots of people have asked the question, is the war that's going on in the Middle East at the moment, is that part of Bible prophecy? Is this Anything to do with Ezekiel 38, 39? Is this the war spoken of about Gog and Magog? Um, so we've done this just to show that God does actually have a timetable for the world. Uh, in the seven feasts, we have four spring feasts, and they are Passover and bread, first fruits, and Weeks, or um, also known as Pentecost. They are the four spring feasts. Now those four feasts were fulfilled by Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. The autumn feasts, uh, which are the Day of Atonement, um, Tabernacles, and Trumpets, um, it's Day of Trumpets, and Tabernacles, Trumpets, David of Atonement, Tabernacles, um, those autumn feasts have yet to be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled at Christ's second coming. Now, then, I'm saying that to say this. We are in a gap at the moment between the spring feasts, which were fulfilled at Christ's first coming, and the autumn feasts, which will be fulfilled at Christ's second coming. Not the rapture, the second coming. Now, then, regardless of what you believe, you might be here tonight and you might be um, something called an amillennialist, which does not believe in a millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's fine. You can believe that and you can be completely wrong. Because the Bible says that Christ will rule and reign for 1,000 years, a millennium. What is the point of that reign? Well, the point of that reign is the fact that there are still promises yet to be fulfilled to Israel. It amazes me that um, a land of such small mass is causing such an issue in the Arab world. If you look at the Arab nations around Israel and you look at the landmass that they have, Libya, Syria, Iran, Iraq, uh, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, all of that, Egypt. You look at all the Arab lands around Israel, but Israel is the one that is the problem. Why? Because God still has a purpose for Israel. And I'm not here to say, look, everything that Israel does, um, they are um, innocent and um, they are perfect. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this. God still has a purpose for Israel. It is the one people that have tried, people have tried to wipe off the face of the earth so many times. Um, Pharaoh failed to do it. Um, Satan has failed to do it. Hitler failed to do it. Why? Because God still has a purpose for Israel. And the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ will fulfill promises made to Israel that have yet to be fulfilled. In occupying all of the land that God promised them. You know, there's a fuss about the little tiny bit of land that they have now. That's not the land that was promised to them during the Balfour Declaration. That's not the land that was promised to them after the Second World War. But I can say this to you. It's not the land that God promised them. You know, you hear the phrase a lot at the moment, from the river to the sea, which basically means to wipe out Israel completely, to get rid of every Jew from uh, Arab lands. But the Lord promised Israel land from the river to the sea. And one day they will have that land from the Euphrates. Uh, And some say that the sea is a reference to either the Mediterranean or even the Nile itself. And the Lord will give them that land. And Christ will reign during the millennium. There are promises that God made to Israel regarding the land. There's promises God made to Israel regarding the throne. There's promises God made to Israel regarding their salvation. None of that has happened yet. If that does not happen, God is a liar, and God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So therefore, if God, if it's impossible for God to lie, all of what he has said to Israel has to happen at some point. It doesn't matter whether you are a post-millennialist, an amillennialist, whether you are a mid-trib rapture type of person or a post-trib rapture type of person, um, you are entitled to be wrong. We must not get the church and Israel mixed up. They are separate. The Lord Jesus Christ will return for His church. The church is Christ's bride. We saw this morning that Israel... Is God's bride, and God will not divorce His bride. So these feasts, the spring feasts were fulfilled at Christ's first coming. The autumn feast will be fulfilled by Christ at His second coming. There is a gap in between, and we will look at what's what's going to happen and what has to happen in that gap between the spring feasts and the autumn feast. But what we've been doing over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what was the intention of these feasts? Why did God uh, instigate these feasts in the first place? So, so we're going to look at what God would do. Then we're going to look at what Christ did. And then we look at what we should be doing in regards to these feasts. So Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 15 says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths to be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seven Sabbaths shall ye number fifty days, and shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Ye shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord." And he shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year and one bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord and with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savour unto the Lord. Then he shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two uh, lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And he shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein, it shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of the field. When thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor, and unto the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around your word. We prayed you'd speak to our hearts tonight, Lord, and help us to understand what this feast could mean to us. We might look at this and say, well, that was something that was relevant to Israel back in the Old Testament time. So what can it possibly mean for us today? Well, we recognize that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So we ask that it would profit us in some way when it comes to our walk with you. So Lord, we pray you'd speak to our hearts tonight. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we come to uh, something that has a, a few different names. Um, this is known as the Feast of Weeks. It is known as the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, it's, it's called Pentecost because a, a, a is literally 50. And we are told to number 50 days, which is why it's referred to as the Feast of Pentecost. But it's also referred to first fruits. And you, think, you might think, well, wait a minute. We did first fruits last week. We did, but it was a different harvest. There are two harvests in Israel. So, in Numbers 28, verse 26, um, so we get, we're looking at what God has done. In, in, in Numbers 28, 26, it says, Also in the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new meat offering unto the Lord, after your weeks be out, you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no servile work. So, we need to understand that there are two different harvests. The first fruits that we looked at last week took place during the wheat harvest, the first fruits here is a, a, a harvest of the barley crop um, and, and and this uh, uh, begins on the thir- in the third month, and the Israelites considered the time of this the new meat offering as the time of the fullest harvest, so it is the first fruits of the um, wheat harvest. Ruth 2.23 says, "Um, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean under the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. So first fruits was the barley harvest. Did I say the wrong way around? I'm sorry. First fruits was the barley harvest, which came first. And then in the third month, 50 days later, was the wheat harvest, which the Israelites referred to as the fuller Harvest, and we see that in the book of Ruth. So it's, re- it's referred to as the Feast of First Fruits, it's also referred to as the Feast of Weeks, Exodus 34 22, And thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks, the, f- of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the Feast of ingathering at the year end. It is referred to as the Feast of Weeks because of the number seven. Elisha's going to love this now. Uh, why, um, why would we refer to seven as a week, Elisha? What book do we see a week of weeks? 69 weeks. Oh, almost the book of Daniel. Because every time I did the, those weeks, at least would be like, why is that? Why is that a week? Why is that? Why is that? What's that got to do with seven? Um, so, uh, the feast of weeks because of the number seven. Seven Sabbaths equals seven weeks or a week of weeks. Remember when it says that Jacob worked one week for um, Rachel? He actually worked seven years. So a week could be referred to as the number seven. Um, so it's also referred to as first fruits weeks, and it's also referred to as Pentecost. And that's because of the number 50. Acts 2.1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. It's just because of the number 50. Um, it's no coincidence um, that we have um, this timing. Remember, God is a God of order. He has done this for a purpose. He hasn't just thought, right, okay, what can we do now to keep these people occupied? I know. We'll have a, we'll have a Passover. They can, they can kind of get together then, and um, they can do this. And then oh, we'll do something called unleavened bread. And then everything is done for a purpose. And the timing of everything is important. What was this feast all about? What has God done? Turn back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. What happened during this feast? What is this feast all about? Well, God did two things. First of all, during this feast, God gave the law. Exodus Chapter 19 and verse 1. It says, In the third month, remember the third month was the wheat harvest. That is 49 days, seven Sabbaths after the first month, which was Passover. So, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. It is no coincidence. That they come here at this time. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. It's no coincidence that the law God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai happened on this month. It happened on the fifth day of the third month at the time of the Feast of Weeks. Most commentators agree that the same day on the third month is a reference to the first day of that month. The first day at Mount Sinai, the Lord spoke to Moses and said in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Moses then calls the people together and speaks to Israel and they agree to keep the law in verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them and, uh, 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 today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. So today and tomorrow, the first and second day. Verses 16 and 17. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled, and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. So the third day is the second acceptance by the people, and then Moses goes to meet with God, and it says uh, in verse uh, 24, uh, Moses writes down all that God has told him, and then it says, um, and the next day, um, verse 24, Sorry, it's it's chapter 24 and verse 4. Chapter 24 and verse 4. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then the next day, verses 7 and 8, the people accept the law. He took the book of the covenant and read in the ordinance of the people and they said, all that the Lord hath said we will do. And be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which is the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So on that day, on the day of the feast of weeks, on the fifth day of the third month, the law was given to Israel. And you might say, So what? Well, we understand the importance of that law. Because the law wasn't just for Israel. We are told in the New Testament that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law wasn't for people to keep for perfection. The law was to show how sinful man truly is. So on that day, on this feast, God gave them the law. And he also gave them a harvest. Uh, This marks a specific point in time the second harvest was to occur seven sabbaths after the start of unleavened bread 50 days after that feast on the feast of unleavened bread the people offered a single loaf of unleavened bread on pentecost they offered two loaves of leavened bread before the lord now you might say "Well, wait a minute you said last time when we looked at unleavened bread that leaven represents sin and it does So why do they offer two loaves of leavened bread? Well, this feast not only has a provision for Israel, this feast also has a provision for the Gentiles. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 22 says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not... Make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of the harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor, and unto the stranger. I am the Lord your God. If I was to say to you, who do we know that gleaned in a field because of this law, who would you say? Ruth. Who was Ruth? Or what was Ruth? A Gentile, she was a Moabite. So this provision was not just for the Israelites, this was a provision for. The Gentiles as well. And this feast, this is the second pilgrimage feast. Remember, there were three feasts where they had to go to Jerusalem every year. It was Passover. It was the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. And it was also the Feast of Tabernacles. Three times a year, they were meant to go to Jerusalem. And this was a joyous time in Israel. They celebrated the bounty of the harvest. And they fulfilled one of the conditions of the Mosaic Covenant during this time. Exodus thirty four twenty four. For I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders, neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. It's interesting that the law and the book of Ruth are still read today during this feast. So in summary, what would God do? This feast was to celebrate the giving of the law. And this feast was to celebrate the wheat harvest, the second harvest in Israel. And it was the second of the three pilgrimage feasts. So we need to understand that first and foremost, these feasts of the Lord, these divine appointments serve as a spiritual time to honor Israel's covenant-keeping God. So they tell us what God would do. They also tell us what Christ would do. As we saw in our previous look at the spring feasts, Christ was crucified at Passover, the very time that the Passover lambs were being slain in the temple. He was buried during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what I didn't mention um, when we looked at Unleavened Bread is that um, during that feast, children today still go and hide bread in the house uh, and, and then the others try and find it. So the Lord was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he rose on the Feast of first fruits. For the next 40 days, 40 days after Christ's resurrection, he remained on earth. And he explained in incredible detail how the Old Testament scripture applied to him. In Luke 24, 44, he said unto them, these are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the Lord of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. For 40 days, Christ was telling people how the Old Testament scripture related to him. If you remember on the road to Emmaus, he did the same thing, didn't he? He spoke about how all of these things related to um, the Messiah. But before Christ ascended to heaven, he gave some instructions. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we start reading in verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father which saith he ye have heard of me for John truly baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the holy ghost not many days hence When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Israel have been promised a kingdom. The kingdom won't happen until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That will be the millennial kingdom. That's the kingdom that God promised Israel. And the Lord said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Ten days later, so the Lord was on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. Ten days later, the disciples, along with many other Jews, were in Jerusalem, to observe the Feast of Weeks. Remember what the feast was. It was a feast of harvest. A one-day affair, um, time to coincide with the wheat harvest. It was a feast of thanksgiving. It centered on a harvest theme. A small field was reaped, and the corn was ground into flour. The flour was added oil and leaven. Normally, um, Jews were, were purging out leaven, but two loaves of bread were made. These loaves were then offered to the Lord as a wave offering. That is, they were waved into the sky in thanksgiving to God for the harvest. And this is all very symbolic, particularly when we come to Acts chapter 2. Because Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That's interesting. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this is the pinnacle of all that Pentecost uh, symbolized. Oil, remember now, oil was added to the ground down wheat. Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. What is leaven a picture of? It's always a picture of it, it's never any different. Sin, leaven is a picture of sin. The two loaves of bread pictured the two constituents of the church, Jew and Gentile. Remember, we said that in stark contrast to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the bread that was waved before the Lord in this instance was made with leaven. There can be little doubt that the two loaves, which represented one single offering, were a picture of two Different types of people becoming one on the day of Pentecost. Remember what Paul said there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Even though God has not finished with Israel yet, they, if they accept Christ as their Savior today, become part of the church. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. On this day, those two become one. It is a harvest of nations. When God would form a church out of Jew and Gentile, a church indwelt by his spirit, represented by the oil, but also indwelt by sin, represented by the leaven. Notice the perfect timing of God in orchestrating this moment. So, remember the pilgrimage feasts. They had to come to Jerusalem at the feast of Passover. But what would happen then is, is, is for some of them, if they went home, you're talking about, you know, remember when, when Mary and Joseph lost, lost Jesus, when they took him to Jerusalem and they lost him, and it took them three days to find out where he was. So they had traveled for a, for a day and a half, and then, you know, they'd come back a day and a half before they found him. Now then, For some people, it could take them quite a number of days to travel to Jerusalem. So what the people would do is is that at the Feast of Passover, they would simply stay in Jerusalem until the Feast of Weeks, until the Feast of Passover. It is estimated that the populace of Jerusalem grew by 3 million people at Passover, Men came from near and far. Fifty days later, they were expected to meet in Jerusalem again. And, and, and many wouldn't return home until after Pentecost. That's why it says in Acts 2.5, they were dwelling. They were dwelling at Jerusalem. Uh, devout men out of every nation under heaven. If God had waited one more day, all of these people would have been gone. God's timing. Is perfect. He waited until their last day in Jerusalem, knowing that whether they were converted or not, they would travel throughout the world, bringing with them a story of conversion. And that's why the Lord said that you'll be witnesses to me in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We know that thousands were saved during Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. We know that thousands of lives were changed, and as a result, from the the, the Jewish people that had. From all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, to stay there until the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, on that day that the, the, the Holy Spirit was given and thousands were saved. From there, they would go out, and that leaven, as it were, would literally permeate the entire world. They would do the footwork for the gospel that would be proclaimed by the apostles and others into their region. Pentecost was about a harvest, and it was a harvest of souls. The Lord Jesus Christ always spoke in those terms. He said, Look, the, the field is white and the harvest, but the laborers are few. He always talked about the souls coming to know Christ as their Savior as a great harvest. And on the day of Pentecost, on this feast, there was a harvest of nations. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and verse 12, uh, Paul uh, describes it this way, Ephesians 2 and verse 12. he says this. Uh, he says that "At the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the Lord of commandments contained in ordinance, for to making himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enemy thereby." Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Christ put into action a whole set of events that culminated on the day of Pentecost. Jew and Gentile were brought together. Uh, It was the only giving of the Holy Spirit that would complete the breaking down of the walls that had separated Jew and Gentile for generations. Pentecost is like a paradox. Because it is a picture of what Christ would do to be joining, that joining link, and also a separating force between Israel and the church. He joined Jew and Gentile as the church, but he also separated the church and Israel as two separate entities. So what? What does that mean to us? What should we be doing As a result of this feast. And we could come up with a whole host of different applications and implications for us. But this is what really impresses me about the Feast of Weeks it highlights how important the body of Christ, the church, is to the Lord Jesus Christ. It cost Christ his life in order to establish the church. After his death and resurrection, he didn't leave that process to chance. He stayed on earth for 40 days, teaching people methodically the scriptures that they would have an adequate biblical background for when the church formed, so that it could operate properly. He left and returned to the right hand of the Father so that he could send the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit would indwell his believers and guide them and director. That's why I think it breaks the Lord's heart when people say, I love Christ, I just don't like his church. You know, I would, I would, let me ask you this question. I would, as a wife, how would you feel if your husband came up to you and said, babes, I love you, I'm just not that fast on your body. Uh, let me tell you something. As a recipe for disaster, that uh, could still go down as a COVID death quite easily. You know, how would we feel if somebody said that yeah, I love you. It's not that keen on your body. The church is the body of Christ. How much it hurts when we neglect the church, how much it hurts when people cause such division within the church you know that christians have not done any favors for the world today because the first question you get asked well which church is right what do you mean which church is right there's only one church well in their eyes there's not there's loads is the catholic church right or is the church of england right are the baptists right or are the pentecostals right You know, what about the the, the Methodists or the Presbyterians? What about Elim? What about the United Reformed Church? What about... There's so many denominations. And the body has split and splintered. And all it's done is caused confusion. You know, there's a lot of different movements that have formed even from the scripture where people say, oh, I don't like that part of the scripture, I'll start my own movement. I don't like that there's all these denominations, so I'll start um, a a, a movement based on an angel called Moroni. But I don't like the the concept of hell, so I'll start my own movement, uh, and I'll be a, a witness to Jehovah. How does the Lord feel when we Christendom has basically wrecked his body the church Ephesians 5 says Husband, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I understand that the church is not perfect. Listen, if you want to join a perfect church, don't, because you'll just spoil it. If you find the perfect church, don't join, because you'll wreck it. The church would be absolutely ideal if it wasn't for people. Because we just mess things up. We're all different. We've all got different quirks and ways of doing things. And, you know, we all uh, have got our own oddities. But guess what? Christ loves us. The church isn't perfect. We see that in the picture of the bread being offered. It's full of leaven. We are just sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect yet. The church is made up of sinners. The church is not going to be pure until the Lord Jesus Christ returns for us. Then, when the dead in Christ rise first, corruption will put on incorruption, and mortal will put on immortality, and one day the church will be perfect, like Paul said, to be able to be offered like a, as, a, 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 as, as without blemish, without a spot, as a perfect church, and on that day when the church finally gets to glory, and we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and become the bride of Christ in that perfect white gown, then the church will be one Wonderfully perfect. But until then, we got to do the best with what we've got. Sometimes God doesn't give us much to work with. We are meant to be active in a harvest for souls. The Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost shows us how important the body is, how important the church is, but our commission is to preach the gospel to every creature. Our purpose is to reach the the, the the world, to harvest for souls, where we can be a witness. During the reign of Oliver Cromwell, there was a shortage of currency in the British Empire. Representatives. Carefully searched the nation in hopes of finding silver to meet the emergency. After one month, the committee reper- returned with its report. We have searched the empire in vain, seeking to find silver. To our dismay, we found none anywhere except in the cathedrals where the statues of the saints are made of the choice of silver. To this, Oliver Cromwell eloquently answered, let us, let us melt down the saints and put them into circulation. Can I say this, that we need to melt down the saints and put them into circulation. We are meant to be a witness. We're not meant to be hypocritical. We're not meant to be self-righteous, judgmental people. We're not meant to pretend to have it all figured out and to have every single answer. We are just sinners, saved by grace. But we are to be a witness. A witness simply tells what he has seen that's it if you've ever been a witness to anything if you've ever gone before the police and the police have said let me take your statement all you can say is this is what I saw I don't know what else happened I don't know who else did what but this is what I saw as a witness this is what I saw I was once lost but now I'm found. This is what I saw. I was once blind, but now I see. This is what I saw. I was once in a place of despondency, in a place of despair. I was once steeped in sin. But what happened when the Lord Jesus Christ saved me? He washed me with His blood. He made me whiter than snow. He took me, a a a sinner, saved me by His grace, and now I'm changed. I'm different. And that's all that I can tell people. This is what I saw. I don't want to stand here and argue with you about creation versus evolution i don't want to stand here and argue about bible version i don't want to stand here and argue about denomination but this is what i saw i once was lost but now i'm found i once was blind but now i see i was once an unsaved sinner headed to a christless hell but now christ has saved me and i'm headed to glory that's all we can say because that's what we saw If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then you need that harvest right now. To us, Pentecost just tells us how important the church is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it reminds us that there is a fuller harvest in the world. A hundred and fifty thousand people die every day. That's almost one, I think it might be a bit more than one a second. Every day. That's how many people die. How many of those slip into a Christless hell because they've rejected the gospel? Our purpose, our commission is to preach the gospel to every creature, to tell people about Christ. The gospel, according to the biblical definition, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We're not to promote denomination, we're not even to promote eschatology. We're not here to say, Well, the pre trib stance is right and the you know the, the premillennial return of Christ is right and we're not here to wait here to proclaim the gospel. That's what we need to share the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then bring them to church and then we can sort them out on every other doctrine that they're wrong on. <laughs> but our commission is to preach the gospel because there's a harvest that is desperate to be reaped. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together and for this opportunity to come around you. A word, Lord, we pray you continue to speak to our hearts. And if there is anyone here tonight, if there is anyone watching online that has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. Then, Father, they need to recognize that in accordance with the law of God, they are lost. They are a sinner. No man is perfect. Everyone has sinned and comes short of the glory of God. The only perfect man to have ever lived died on the cross of Calvary to pay for that sin. Christ paid a debt that he did not owe. Because we owed a debt that we could not pay. So Father, I just pray that somebody tonight would recognize that they're lost, that they can't go to heaven based on their own goodness. But I pray that tonight they would recognize that Christ loves them so much and died for them and that they would accept him as their savior and know that their sins are forgiven and that their home is heaven. So Father, would you just continue to speak to our hearts tonight, we pray. <clears throat> for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll Sing our last hymn together. I'm going to ask Alistair uh, to come up during the, the last verse and then close us in a word of prayer. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the words of those songs and the songs we sung this morning, this evening. Thank you that we are washed in your blood. Cleanse pure, Lord. Cleanse from all sin and all iniquity and all that we've passed on. Thank you also, Lord, that we come from so many different backgrounds with so much baggage and so many different experiences, yet as we come before you, we can come before you as one, as a single soul, just sinners saved by grace. Help us, Lord, to go into the week with a renewed vision of you and a fresh idea of your plan for our life. May we be the witness we need to be, the people we need to be, to live out your plan and your purpose in this world. So go before us and make the way clear, we pray, and bless the rest of our time together.